This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Our foremother, Leah, she, she was, uh, lived kind of a uh, depressed life where the world at large was creating her well-being as opposed to herself generating her well-being. And of course, when the world at large is creating your well-being, you probably don't have much of it. Because only if the world outside of you is giving you this positive reinforcement will you feel well-being. But if they're not, anywhere from neutral to, to negative will knock you out. So you, you remain very vulnerable to the world outside. Your well-being is very vulnerable to how you're treated. So Leah's first son was named Reuven. She was sad that she was an unloved wife. Of course, Jacob loved her (coughs) intensely, but she didn't feel Jacob's love because she was second string to Leah. And she named her first son Reuven, which means, look, I've given you a son. Reu is to see, Ben is a son. And so she named him that, Reuven, and it's pretty sad, right, to name a kid after such, you know, did we do this with you guys yet? Oh, good. So then the second son was Shimon, here my poverty, and the third son was Levi. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, third son was Levi, which means escort. So Shimon means here my poverty, I'm an unloved wife. Third was Levi, that... You know, I'm an unloved wife, but now because I've given him three sons, he'll escort me. Levi, Levui means to escort. So now I will be escorted. But then all of a sudden she has a fourth son and everything changes. And the fourth son, she has uh, his name. She says, this time may I gratefully praise Hashem. And she names him Yehuda. She names him Yehuda, which is from the word Toda, to give thanks. Yehuda. Did you guys know the word Yehuda? The name Yehuda means to give thanks. Toda. It's from the same exact root of the word Toda. But something very strange has happened to Leah. She spent her first part of her life crying over the fact that she thought she was supposed to marry Asaph. She spends the next part of her life crying over the fact that Jacob doesn't love her, which he does, but she doesn't get that. It's kind of like an example of that. Your your fathers who always ask you about how you're doing financially and what's going on with your money situation, what's your plan to make a living and all that stuff. So you sometimes think he doesn't really love you because that's all he talks about. He really loves you. He really loves you. You just don't get it. You don't feel it when he's talking money. I've learned to descramble. You ever seen like pay-per-view boxing? Where you gotta send in your credit card and the scrambled screen, all of a sudden there's Tyson now, he's crystal clear, there's Tyson, he's gonna fight, you paid for your, you descrambled it. So I've learned to descramble the screen when my father talks about money. All I hear is, I love you, I'm dedicated to you, you're my son and your survival is my utmost priority. So I get a very warm feeling when my t- father talks about money. You know what I used to get? I used to feel like I was nine years old. Because my where was my well-being coming from? Within or without? 
without. My well-being was coming from out there. So when dad would call, it was never the right time. Raise your hand if your father can never call at the right time. <laughs> the rest he didn't admit it. It was never at the right time. And I would get off the phone with them quite quickly. And the uh, I call this orphaning, where we orphan ourselves before our parents pass away. And it's crazy, because one day you'll be a father, and you'll, you're going to want to know how your son's doing physically. You create him physically, you want to know that he's surviving. That's the way, that's one of the ways of expressing love. Now, there's some more enlightened fathers who actually say the word, I love you a lot. Not all fathers are like that. So, anyway, when I created myself from within as a highly capable adult, and my father called me about money, all I heard was, I love you. That's a great example of just the difference between creating yourself from out there or from within here. But Leah, in this sentence in the Torah, suddenly gets it. She suddenly realizes, you know, I'm spending my whole life waiting for the world out there to give me the right impulses that I'll feel good. I'm never going to feel good. I have to start generating from within. And she starts generating from within as another child and names him Judah. And it turns out that Judah really is uh, one of the, you know, think who Judah is. Yehudi, the word for Jew, comes from Judah. Generating, she calls him Yehuda. Yehuda is the word todag, to give thanks. Like, for example, Yossi gave me this this beer. Highly appreciated. And it's actually brewed in Israel. Thank God Israel's finally starting to brew their own beer. Although it can create kashruta issues, but this one's kosher, thank God. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, microbrews in Israel. They're, I don't know. This one is in, uh, where is it? We'll discuss another time. It's not necessary to discuss this now. But, uh, the Golan brewery is very good. If you get to the Golan, there's a brewery there. Yes, that's the Golan Brewery. You had the Bazelet, it's a little darker. Oh, I like darker. Like dark oh, see, yeah, that one. It's really good, right? You like that? Um, when you get on tap there, though, it's extra. This is like the one I got. Really? Oh, okay. So, sorry. Get sidetracked easily, especially when I've got the flu. I normally wouldn't be teaching on such a day. It's just, I feel like, I just can't imagine you guys all sitting here waiting around. You know, so I got, I peeled myself out of bed. Um, what were we talking about? Giving thanks. So when I thanked Yossi for the beer, can you imagine, like, let's play, let's replay it, okay? Uh, you maybe pan out a little. Yossi, uh, you panned out enough to see Yossi and me here? So... Yossi, can I give you this back for a second? So Yossi's going to give me this beer. Watch this. Thank you very much for that beer. What do I do? It's like a weird thing to do. Why am I thanking Yossi? Because I'm trying to define for you guys what it means to give thanks. When you give thanks for something, you're recognizing the source of that which you got. So Yossi's the source of the beer for me. 
and I'm thinking Yossi, the source. For me to think er- Eric would be ridiculous, as you saw, it was a crazy thing to do. He's like, why are you thinking me? So that's the word Yehuda. Yehuda means to recognize the source of that which you received. So we already spoke about fathers, there's mothers, there's certainly big sources of what we receive. Jorge, can I hand you this? Fathers and mothers are sources. Uh, maybe slide up a little, Ben, and get a snuggle in there. Snuggle up in there. Yeah. Uh, he gave me the beer. Uh, a lot of you people came. Ishtora, uh, did Ishtora help you guys get here? Ishtora helped you get here. It's uh, also recognized as a source. But really, what's the source of all things? God, God's the source of all reality. So we're called recognizers. A Yehudi, a Jew, Jew, a Jew, Judah, Yehudi, is a recognizer. That's who we are. That's what we do. And God is the source of all creation. So I am a recognizer in my essence as a Yehudi. And God being the source is where my heart <coughs> where my heart is always directed. I'm always directing my heart towards my maker. John, think I borrow your cup, please. No. There's a piece of paper on works also. This isn't working, so... So a Jew is a recognizer of the source of reality. That's the job of a Jew. And now you understand why we have so many blessings for so many things. Because we don't let anything go by without a blessing for it. Before it, after it. We even have a blessing for going to the bathroom. And that's really out there. But you come out of the bathroom and there's a whole other blessing. And it's not a short one too. It's a long blessing. You know why it's a long blessing? You know why our sages made a long blessing? It's for businessmen. Because the um, the people, businessmen who, uh, you know, they prayed in the morning, but now they're like, their heads are so in business now. And so the chances of them cutting out to like start recognizing God, most of them skip lunch, so they don't have any blessings really. Maybe they make a blessing on their coffee if they remember. You know, so, but they're gonna have to go to the bathroom at certain points of the day, so give them a nice paragraph. Maybe they'll get like, somewhere along the line they'll realize they're in the middle of a blessing and they should pay attention to the fact that God's the source of reality. So it's, it's kind of a long blessing. It's like a little mini Shemoni Esri that you, cause God figured you'll have to go to the bathroom. That, you can't skip. So you can skip lunch, but you can't skip the bathroom. So, have a nice, paragraph to say say about the reality of the universe and how thankful you must be for all your ducts and tubes and the valves should never seal up and the tube should never open up and all those things 
So we thank God for everything because that's our job. Our job is to recognize God. Now, listen, there's recognizing God in a very vague way. Like, okay, let's say grace. You know, grace for the meal. But then there's like recognizing God in specifics. You know, there's a family that'll sit down and say grace. I think they say it before the meal. When do uh, uh, non-Jews say grace? Before the meal. So that's very nice, before the meal. So it's, it's probably better because, you know, they are stopping their animal instinct for at least five seconds, ten seconds. Um, but, but whatever is involved in that meal is all said in that one sentence that they say. Um, we are recognizing what is fruit of the tree, what's fruit of the ground, what is uh, grains that are like truly miraculous, you know, because grains, it was totally inedible, just rocks, basically. What's a grain of wheat? It's rocks. It's those little pebbles of, I mean, it's hard rocks. You can't eat it. Yet if you grind it into flour and you add it with water and other ingredients, it can be cake, it can be bread, it will sustain life. So we have a special blessing over such things like that. And then bread, because bread is like, you know, a whole other level of sustenance, really the greatest level of sustenance, especially if it's healthy bread. And it's something that's ceremoniously broken between people on special days. And it's like breaking bread with someone is a sign of the covenant. It gets its own blessing. Wine has the power. You know, you can drink apple juice, but it doesn't have a different blessing than, than water. But wine, which has got, you know, extra power, the fruit of the vine, it's a spiritual need. You'll notice when you drink wine, you're more spiritual than if you drink whiskey. You drink whiskey, you want to hear, you know, you drink some bourbon, you want to hear, uh, uh, Easy talk. I, who was I going to say? Leonard Skinner or something. You know, drink bourbon. You know, the when you drink wine, you know you're going. Now it's time to philosophize. Now it's time to realize what it, what's the connection of reality. When you drink beer, you want to party. You know, so. I drink, me and Yosef drink beer for taste, right? You love beer? He loves beer. He's letting us know that. He's letting us know that again. Um, but, but when I drink a beer, I drink one big beer, you know, one, what do you call that? Half pint or pint? You drink it then, you drink the beer. But you don't need any more beer after that. You've had your beer. You know, do you need to drink more than that? Actually, I had two, and it was... It was hard for me to walk home. It was hard for you to walk home. Yeah, because it was, I mean, the beer was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very nice beer. I, I stop, I stop at one because I don't want to lose it. When you abuse it, in general, you lose it. So I love beer so much and I'm really careful that one beer is all I need. Just one beer. The problem is so delicious, it's hard not to drink the whole thing in the first sip. You ever notice that, Yossi? Actually, I can't control myself. I smell it first. Oh, you smell it first. Yeah, like wine. My problem is I'm, I'm quenching my thirst with the first sip. I should probably start with water. So, let's go back. Now, I'm, I'm taking a lot of liberties here because I should really be in bed. So, I'm, I'm just... Um, 
we have individual blessings for each thing because God's working individually with each thing. Even the blessing, as I said, for the bathroom goes into the our whole anatomy. Um, because there's great detail, and to be the ultimate in the ultimate relationship requires you noticing detail. What's the ultimate relationship you'll have with a person on this earth? Marriage. Can you imagine thanking your wife or your spouse in a non-detailed way? She's not going to be so... She's not going to feel it. You know, there's certain flowers she'll like more than others. There's... There's certain colors she would prefer. There's certain stones she might enjoy. You know, maybe she likes sapphire. The, the there's there's food she likes to eat. There's the restaurant she enjoys. When you when you love someone, there's great detail to how you relate to them. You know, we're coming up on Father's Day, and your father has ta- a taste that's not just that Hallmark may not exactly hit on the nose you know there's a way your father is and appreciating for that with detail with fine detail is is the ultimate relationship you know I'll give you an example let's say let's say it's your it's your birthday and your best friend comes and hands you a gift and it's a CD you're going to tell him, thank you very much. I appreciate that CD. He's saying, I appreciate you. I've come for your birthday and here's your CD. But imagine your friend came instead with a collage. He gives you this big collage of your whole relationship together. The things you love, where you met the first time, and all kinds of little details about your life. And and you realize that this person's into your detail. This person cares about you in a detailed way. It's a whole different relationship. And your thank you, that was your best present. I don't care if someone got you a 10 CD set. I don't care if someone got you a case of beer. It's not going to affect you like a good friend who's showing care in that way. That's how we relate with God. That's why there's various blessings for each thing. Everything gets its blessing because just as God deals with us in with great detail and great attention to detail, so too we bless God in return with our name Yehuda, Judah, Yehudim. We we praise God with great detail. So think about that the next time you're saying like, why do we have to make all these blessings and why do we have to be so crazy about which blessing it is and aren't we being too into detail here? Well, tell God he's too into detail. He could easily turn this place into two dimensions if you want. You know, I hope you guys have been enjoying the 3D effect he's been uh, sending down, you know. It's pretty cool, right? God could have very easily, four, okay, but God could have very easily created the world in 2D. 2D, you know, right here. (laughs) You can go this way or that way, okay? He could have created the world in 2D wouldn't have been very joyous, wouldn't have been too amazing. It's really hard to play an instrument in 2D. It's hard to do anything in 2D, but he could have done it. God's pretty big. He could have created us in 2D and just seen the way we all flip around inside the 2D scene over there, you know? Take away a lot of the joy of life, but 
you know, God is big on experiments. I mean, we're in this, you know, 6,000 years set process right now. It's been pretty crazy so far. But it's 3D at least. So God's into detail. Let's be into detail in the way we relate back. By the way, just a cool thing on a side note is imagine it was 2D. So you know what prophecy would be? God would just, you know, like go, go like this. And we'd all be like, whoa, what's that? You know? <laughs> what is that? You know? <laughs> and then the whole world would be like freaking out on this, like, there's something out there. There's something out there. Of course, it's just a third dimension, but what is that? You know? And, um, but now we're in 3D. So God also pokes through from time to time. Mount Sinai was a poke through. There's been individuals, you know, you know, you you don't have to have prophecy proved to you when you have someone like Samuel, the prophet, who ruled Israel, you know, for a long period of time. Like, just go see. You could just take a two days journey on a donkey and go meet Samuel, the prophet, and it's that's literally like meeting someone who shows you straight through. It's talking about wormholes, like human beings that were like wormholes. Also, the Holy of Holies is that the in the Temple Mount. Right over the rock, in the dome of the rock. That's also a shoot straight through the systems. Now, here's the issue. The issue is, is that we have, every Jew has kind of a duo persona. He has his individuality. And he has his Jewishness. So you have your individuality, who you are as an individual, and no two people in this room are alike. In fact, identical twins are not alike in many ways. So you are totally different than the person sitting next to you. There's no way that God created you with all that detail. And boy, has he detailed each one of you, as I see you in this room. There's no way that God created you with all this amazing detail. If not, that you have something specific to do here. You're here for specific things. Yes, you can say amen to a blessing with a room full of Jews. There's nothing detailed about that. There's nothing special when you say amen. You can say baruch hu uvaruch shemo. You can say, you know, between the blessings. You can scream yehei shmei rabba when someone says kaddish. There will be nothing that differentiates you from the person standing next to you. You can pray the silent prayer, Shemona Esri. And it's all in the plural. It's not even in the singular. It has nothing to do with you. Meaning, you can do all these things, saying Amen at the right time and everything, as one of the Jews doing that. There's no individuality to that. I mean, you can yell Yehei a little louder, you could do it a little softer. You could say on main, you know, louder or softer. But there's no individuality there. And there's not supposed to be. When someone's made a blessing, your job is not to be you. Your job is to say on main. And just draw that down. On main is, is the word, is a, is a, uh, abbreviation of the words Aleph Lamed, God. The mem is melech, and the nun is ne'eman. El melech ne'eman. 
You're saying, when you say amen to a blessing, what you're saying is God is the, is the faithful king. That's all you're saying. Nothing to do with you. Just someone made a blessing. Say amen. But here's the catch, guys. Is that when you approach Judaism, if you're coming from a secular background, you feel like you're being swallowed up and losing individuality. Where does the individual fit in? In Judaism. And so instead of going into Judaism, Pavel, with everything you've got, instead of just going into Judaism with everything you've got, right, David? We, we drag our foot. We drag one foot in the past while we try to move into Judaism. We try to like, I've come to Jerusalem to learn Torah, but I've got one foot dragging because don't take away my individuality. Don't take away my individuality. Judaism scares me because it's threatening to steal who I am. I know what that rabbi wants. He wants me in a pair of tefillin. He wants me saying blessings. He wants me saying amen at the right times. He wants me making Shabbos. That rabbi isn't interested in me as an individual. He's interested in getting another Jew to act Jewish. Well, can I blame you for moving real slow and real cautiously, if not suspiciously, into Judaism? Because if your individuality isn't being honored, I would be very careful too. Add insult to injury, make matters worse. You have, in the last 200 years, you have something called the ultra-Orthodox. Never existed before. All 200 years ago, Jews were just observant. There was no need for ultra-Orthodox. The only distinction was Jews and Gentiles back then. And Gentiles, you didn't need to wear black to know the difference between who was a Jew and who was a Gentile. Gentiles made it very clear that they were Gentiles. Anyone met a, uh, a Ukrainian alcoholic? Okay, anyone met a, uh, a Romanian alcoholic? Yeah, do you need a special outfit to know the difference between the fact that you're Jewish and he's a Gentile? You need, a, you need to know, you need to wear something to know the difference that you're a Jew and he's not? No, you, you, those who were raised in America have no idea what I'm talking about, but, oh no, there is, I think, an example. I think, I don't know what this is, it came out since I've been in Israel. It's something called like white trash or something. <laughs> like, have you heard of this concept? In a long time. White trash. You know, do you need to wear a special outfit to know the difference between you and between you and white trash? You don't need a special outfit for that. I mean, you have to understand. You know what the literacy rate was in uh, I don't know Russia, for example, for thousands of years. You know what the literacy rate was? <laughs> Maybe two percent. Would that be generous? Would you say? Is that too generous? Too generous. One percent. Do you know what the literacy rate was amongst Jews for all of history? Ninety-five percent, ninety-eight percent, fully literate, basically, fully literate. Yet living living totally impoverished. It was like the aristocracy for the one percent literate. Then there was all the people going through hell, if you know anything about the history, and the uh, 
And then you have like these Jews who are like 100% literate geniuses. You know, I'm not saying every Jew was a genius, but you're basically a genius compared to everyone else. So there was no need, not to mention the fact that those Jews were devoutly keeping commandments, all 613, very dignified. <laughs> on the highest caliber of sexual propriety highest level absolutely monogamous with their own spouse and that was it you know in a <laughs> I think there's a remove the battery button you know incredible incredible dignity dignity amongst a world of like where people were acting like animals and it was real might makes right. There was no need to distinguish yourself from another Jew. It was totally unnecessary. It was clear, you were clearly you were the Jews. You were the ones doing the Shabbos. You were the ones who eat different meat. It had to be slaughtered ritually. You were the ones who were um, being careful in all kinds of ways of how you spoke. To make sure there was no Lashon Hara. You were the people who took off every Shabbos and just disappeared from the whole economic world once a week. You were so distinguished already from the rest of the world, there was no need for any other distinct distinctions. But as a result of the Industrial Revolution and the ensuing Enlightenment, where Jews actually, just like Christians, started leaving tradition and going into just the world of ideas of now, the Enlightenment. What happened was, for the first time, you have actual Jews who are now no longer keeping the ways of the Jews. And what happened, those Jews who kept the ways actually took on all kinds of reactionary steps to distinguish themselves from the others. And that began what is known today as the ultra-Orthodox. The ultra-Orthodox was created by the Enlightenment as a reaction to Jews going off the path of Judaism. It was totally unnecessary before. You understand that? A Jew was a Jew. You think anyone had enough money to wear the same outfit as the guy standing next to him back then? You wore what you found. You wore what your, your mother could sew you know, whatever fabric she wound up with. There was no need for special outfits. There was no need for distinguishing yourself because all there was was Jews and Gentiles. But when Jews started acting like Gentiles, that began the distinctions. So now, 200 years later, When a Jew wants to approach Judaism on the way back, meaning on the other side of history, where a Jew wants to actually approach Judaism on the way back, he finds this monolithic, ultra-Orthodox world that doesn't seem to admit, give admission to individuality. It doesn't seem to include me. It doesn't include Eric with maybe everything Eric brings to the table 
or Byron and everything Byron brings to the table, or David and everything David brings to the table, or Jeremy. It doesn't seem to include me. When in the old days, it would have just been, yeah, you know, Shabbos, 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 you know, and you just come on in, you know, everyone knows there's individuality, you know, there was the violin player, you know, the fiddler on the roof, and there was the sculptor, and there was the beer maker, and there was the, the, the peddler, and there was the, the, the winemaker, and everyone had a trade, you didn't have this uh, relying on you know, meaning everyone learns Torah all day and relies on the government to pay for it. You know, you didn't have this, this world. It was a very different world. There was room for everybody. Now, I just set up a major problem and I've really described why it is that it's so hard to approach Judaism today. I mean, in one hand, you're brainwashed from Western civilization, right? You don't see the world Jewishly anymore. You've been hanging around Gentiles, probably raised in a Gentile elementary school as I was, nursery school. All our formative years were with Gentile ways of thinking. Elementary school, Gentile, junior high school, three more years of Gentile ways of looking at the world. High school, more Gentile ways of looking at the world. I went to university another five years of Gentile, Gentile headspace, Gentile lenses on reality. So, and then that's already from my, who I am. Now I want to approach Judaism, which in its current form, in the purest Torah form, has completely like slaughtered individuality. So as a truth-seeking Jew, what do I do? Where do I go? What's my path? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.